Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach of the podcast. All right. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Uh, today, we have on Johan Falby, a sports psychologist in the Stockholm area of Sweden. Uh, right now, he's working mostly with, with Hammerby Football Club uh, in Sweden, but you know he does a lot of work with the FA. Uh, in Sweden and also um, some work with the Hockey Federation, work, work with referees, work with elite sports, work with businesses. He does a lot. So it's a really great chance to to talk with him. It's been um, almost seven months in the making. Uh, so it's it's great to finally have it um, recorded and finally able to share it with everybody. And uh, Before we jump into today's episode, Rick, I heard a, a quote the other day or I read a quote the other day in a paper that I want to um, talk to you about because Johan brought up a, an interesting point um, about products and and how some sometimes youth athletes are just viewed as like products to, to sell to a bigger club or something like that. So I want to I want to share this quote with you because I think it fits and it's, it's really interesting. Um, and this is according to someone named um, Heikola. I can't remember his first name at the moment, but 
Um, the organization of modern sport is such that coaches are strongly influenced to think of their athletes as productive bodies who exist to generate winning results. The effect of such thinking can easily lead to coaching practices that produce within athletes an identity that is narrow, machine-like, and fixated on performance outcomes above any emotional sensitivity or awareness as an embodied sportsman or sportswoman. Well, that's a really long quote. Yeah. So uh, probably I need to read it again. So yeah, but there are a lot of points in, in, in inside that quote. I think a lot of different yeah. points. Uh, so yeah. I think it's uh, <clears throat> difficult to comment, comment yeah. on it in action. But I, it's such a it's such an interesting quote because and now this is twice this week where I've heard of athletes being a product and, mm. and kind of being productive bodies mm. and um and here like tying it into generating winning results for mm. adults like now athletes that's all they are is pro products and productive people that mm. that generate results mm. and i've never thought about it at such a transactional level mm. before so that's why i thought it was interesting to bring it up because i thought it fit so nicely into just that small comment that johan made but um a really interesting perspective and and just to, like how it tells about um if you have that thinking with your athletes how the identity that they develop is so narrow and machine-like and I, I think that you know we talk about that all the time but putting it in those words is um I think really powerful so I just mm. wanted to share that with you mm. but anyway back to the episode with, with Johan today I think it's a great one um we talk a lot of, about you know parents and sport and and how they should be involved and can be involved and in, in how we can work with them as coaches. Hmm. Um, what were your thoughts on today's episode before we jump into uh, it? I think, uh, first of all, Jan is in a very, he has a very, he has a background with a lot of, as you have been describing as well, with a lot of different, I mean, a lot of different jobs he has done mm -hmm. doing his profession. So I think it's very interesting as you have been mentioning at the moment, he's working with Hammarby. He has been working with the Swedish Football Association, and he's even doing some refereeing work. So he has a very broad background, mm. and he definitely has a lot of competences in his area and also in several areas. So I think it's uh, very interesting, and I think uh, I think we have a bit of two parts of the conversation. In the beginning, we touch a little bit on the lead sports sites, and then we shift a little bit. Uh, to to the uh, overall i think it's we spoke a little bit about parents mm -hmm. and uh, involvement and uh, i think there are two parts of the conversation i think it uh, i think it was uh, he shares some fresh ideas uh, i mean fresh perspective on some topics we have been touching on previously but as we have been discussing after the episode it's always very good because everyone uh, every person has different perceptions on on a topic and uh, has his own competences. So I think overall was a very good episode. And um, now it's time to head it over to Johan Fabi, and we hope that everyone will enjoy the episode as much as we did. All right. So now we'd like to welcome on to the podcast sports psychologist Johan Falby. Johan, how's it doing? How are you doing today? And, and how's everything with you? 
I'm fine. Uh, we had a draw yesterday, so uh, in in that sense, <laughs> with my team, uh, in that sense, I'm I could be better, but uh, otherwise, I'm fine. Yeah, um, and it's uh, yeah, of course, winning is everything. So of course, our, our mood depends so much on on that. But um, <laughs> you know, it's it's exciting to finally have you on. We've been trying to to do this since March, and and um, the fault is with us. So I'm, we're excited that you had the patience to stick with us and and finally come on the show um and just talk about you know all of your work you've done a lot of different things um and yeah we're just excited to have you on so i wanted to give you a chance just to to tell our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself and and your background and, and kind of what you're doing currently uh in sports psychology yeah thanks for having me on and, and we've been working hard for this i'm really looking forward to talk to you guys <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm a former table tennis professional table tennis players uh, player, and uh, I was injured uh, like twenty uh, ish, uh, and when I was in the national team, and during that time, uh, I was becoming more and more interested in in psychology, or I've always been interested in psychology. So, uh, and I didn't really come back after to the, the same level after my injury. So I started to study sports psychology in Halmstad, Sweden. And from there, I went on starting on a PhD in Stockholm at Stockholm University. Um, uh, and the, the, the main interest for me was already then elite performance. Uh, what, what does it require in psychological terms to, to become an elite performer and also stay at the top when you're there because they're different challenges um, to uh, uh, from a psychological point of view uh, and I started on my PhD and during that time uh, as many other PhD PhD students I uh, was contacted by the Swedish Football uh, Association and I got a job there and I thought I was going to finish my PhD but I unfortunately life <laughs> came about uh, with only like uh, the summary left on the on the phd i mm. got a job and then kids and and a, a family and uh, yeah you know so yeah. i didn't finish my phd but i've always been interested in 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 research and, and combining research research and practice so i i think i've found my place in between research I, I participate a bit in in research um, projects uh, I, I read a lot of research and, and talk to a lot of researchers and I try to translate that into real world practice uh, everything from elite performance to to talent development or or sound and challenging uh, sport environments so that's what I've been doing now for yeah like 25 years time flies when you have fun uh, so um yeah. so I've, I've been actually working then with everything from olympic performers performers yeah elite teams uh, mainly in in football or soccer uh, when uh, because i think the yeah it's a tradition now with sports psychologists working in in football actually more than in many other sports and also that they, they have the funding to to hire people so i think it's a coincidence that you end up in football in some mm -hmm. sense uh, but i've been mainly working there for 20 years and um but i've been doing lots of other works as well i mean i've been working with with ice hockey swimming golf table tennis tennis you know downhill skiing and everything in between so i even if, even if it has been a lot of football uh, i've been i don't want to get caught in just being in one environment and culture so i think it's important to be in different 
different areas and and work with different things and uh, that's what I've been doing now now for 25 years I also have um, I, yeah so my, my uh, academic training is in sports psychology and pedagogy uh, but I also have a, a cognitive behavioral therapy uh, education I'm not mm. licensed uh, but I have the the, the first study in Sweden or in Scandinavia I think you have step one and step two so I have what, what you call step one in cognitive behavioral science so that's something some of my background at the moment i'm working with the uh, hamabi in the premiership in, in football in uh, here in stockholm and i also have a company that's called to motivate that work with uh, leadership it's me and my colleagues and some other sports psychologists uh, working there uh, and i also do some uh, individual uh, individual counseling with the uh, yeah, parents kids uh, kids with parents I should say and elite athletes uh, and also do some work uh, with the, in the business area uh, as well uh, coaching CEOs and and uh, yeah, working with stress and coping in in, in the business area as well hmm. um you you talked about at the beginning that uh, you're very driven by uh, you were very driven by elite sports and that, that, that this was something that uh, you were always very interested in working with and you mentioned that it always caught your attention that from a psychological perspective what it actually takes to make it to the top and stay at the top at the same time um, and meanwhile I think you have been working for a very long time in this field and uh, you have uh, very valuable working experience such as with the Swedish Football Association and now you're working for example with Hammarby in Sweden with the football club and based on your experience and based on your knowledge um, what are actually some traits as a person that you should display to make it to the top from a psychological perspective and then stay there long term wise? Oh, that's a <laughs> that was uh, my, my, my PhD was about that and I think okay. yeah one one uh, one reason that I didn't finish it was obviously I got a job and I was really happy with that job. But uh, if you go back to the 90s uh, or starting the, the 20th uh, century, uh, they were looking as, at traits and it, it depends on how you uh, define traits uh, or traits. But if you say... They were looking before on personality traits, for example. And uh, what we came up with or, or other researchers came up with is that there are no certain traits that, that you can say this will um, lead to that. Uh, so for me, breaking it down to a very, uh, very practical uh, definition of what you need is, uh, is um, self-determination, uh, actually, or... or an inner drive to be able to cope with the pressure and the long-term processes that you need to get all the way. I mean, this is a this is a, a trip or endeavor going on for 20 years, maybe going from a small kid realizing that you actually want to do this and then understanding what it takes to do it and then entering the the this yeah that that exclusive group of people that can manage it getting into the last part of, of elite performance so you need stamina and you need long-term perspective and and you need that that inner drive the, the self-determination i think that's the most 
important thing. Uh, and in, okay, then and so the next question will then be what what does it take to have self determination? And that's a different uh, that's different from person to person. I think so. Mm, what's yeah. what's important to me? It's it's different for for you guys, for example. And and you have to find that the good people around you. You have to have you have to be able to listen and communicate and you have to be able to to uh, go on no matter what in when it, good times and bad times and i mean there's so many things and so many environments and so many people and you also need a bit of luck uh, avoiding injuries uh, and yeah, there's so many things you can end up in the wrong environment even though you you think it's the right environment when you you you, you choose that environment or you end up there in, in by chance so there's so many many things so i think it's more interesting to see not to say okay this is what it takes it's more interesting for me to look at the individual the the person that's in front of me okay what that what's important to you how can you what can you do and influence and how can i support you on your on your road to to elite performance so obviously you can find these research where you can find, okay, it's important with this and with that. Mm. But at the end, it's it's a very individual um, trip you're going through uh, and you have to find your own way. And you have to be a, a bit lucky, as I said, and, and also have good yeah. people around you and, and, uh, and be able to be able to communicate what you need and, and also listen to understand what you need. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is um, this is really good for Rick and I because I, I think it seems like we have our next like seven or eight episodes already ready to go here, um, and we can just keep having you back on to talk more and more about all of the work you've done. But um, you know, you just mentioned something there, like the environment is so important for the development, and and you use this verbiage the last time we spoke about uh, a sound and challenging environment uh, for athletes as they develop and. Um, I, I just want to ask you about that. What can you explain that a little bit more and just kind of tell us your thoughts on on what makes that sound and challenging environment and um, and why is that so crucial for for that development? Yeah, and again, <laughs> it's, it's really complex questions early this morning. No? <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but they're good. They're good. Um, for me, I think it's important that there's been a debate going on in Sweden for some years now, uh, uh, considering that uh, many sports are trying to professionalize uh, youth and child sports earlier and earlier. I mean, practice more and more, putting more pressure, winning earlier and earlier. And I mean, yeah, whatever you, yeah, what you call the early specialization. And that mm -hmm. becomes more and more common in, in a lot of, sports uh, and what i mean then so if you have that that part of it i mean obviously you need to practice a lot to become an elite athlete in, in i would say all all sports uh, you need to do that you need to practice you need to to adapt and and become more and more skilled um, on the other hand uh, there's a debate uh, and now i'm very black and white uh, the the other side to say of this continuum is uh, okay you can you can play how many sports you like and you can continue up in all in old ages and take it easy and when you're 
I, I yeah like ironically i say when you're 25 you can choose a sport and then you will become an olympic champion because you have so much experience from so many sports so mm. so there's like black and white discussions and and the, every everybody are looking for so easy solutions and and uh, easy ways you know it, it is order either this or that but in the <laughs> in the real world it's something in between obviously you have to practice hard but you can't practice too hard. You have mm. to become, you, you have to have at some point in time, you need to have a coach that actually knows what he's doing or, or she's doing to, to make you, to learn uh, these uh, uh, particular techniques or whatever uh, to, to uh, become a, a champion or elite performer. And you have to find your own way, as I said before, in between there. I mean, it's not sound. It's not a sound environment like when you're 10 year old and, and you practice 20 hours a week in, in, uh, in I don't know, downhill skiing or tennis or football or whatever. If you do the same thing over and over again. But a kid that's 10 can be able to train 20 hours a week if it's mm. uh, different things that kid is doing. So it's not dangerous to practice that much or move that much or do fun things, but it's not, I think uh, it's not adequate or it's not the best way to do it when you're 10, 12 years old to practice that much in the same sport with the same coach doing the same thing. And, and, you know, you get, I, yeah, you get to wear down after a while mm. or you get injured or you get tired of it. You lose interest, you lose motivation, as I talked about before. So you have to find that middle way. And in that sense, I think it's good to, to do different sports, different movements, different things. And if you look at research, I think it's up to early, early teens, like 13 years old, plus minus, depending on sport, obviously, um, to do different things and practice different uh, motor patterns, motor learning, and do uh, different things, running, jumping, swimming, climbing, you know, ball, eye, eye, uh, eye foot contact, um, um, patterns or, or learning different things. But then at some time you need to specialize. And normally that's in somewhere in, in, yeah, in the middle of the teens, like 15 or something like that. If you do, if you go average, like, like research do. Um, and uh, from there, between 15 to 20, you really need to get into something. You really need to start practice harder and harder. And that's where the real special specialization comes, actually. So if you if you look in in on average, I mean, those that become elite athletes, they they come in a little bit later in specialization, and they practice a little bit harder later on before they come into the elite performance. And this is, I think, there's great research on this with the uh, from Canada, for example, with Cotea, Sean Cotea, uh, that we talked about last time as well, and mm -hmm. his research team, and and lots of other uh, lots of other research in many sports today that will point in the same direction. The problem is. Uh, that uh, yeah, the 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 world is moving in another direction with the more and more specialization earlier and earlier. It's becoming more and more important. Parents and and clubs and 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 uh, yeah, sports in general uh, think it's more and more important to start practice harder and harder earlier and earlier. And that's I usually say that is. Um, it's anxiety that drives that development because people are are actually 
anxious of, about missing the next world champion or the next uh, whoever they can sell in, in in football or whatever you know it's it's a product more than a, a efficient talent development so uh, going back to your question then sound and challenging environment <laughs> yeah well that, <laughs> i've been talking about the sound and challenging env environment i think you need guys and a good support that can see who you are and uh, can mm. and, and understand when and how can you increase the practice and and the the workload in a proper manner looking at you looking at you specifically actually uh, obviously we can see that there are actually uh, there are athletes practicing from six years of age and practicing hard and doing the early specialization and they do survive but we can't see all of them that are disappearing on the road because mm -hmm. they're not they're not famous they're not they're they're disappearing somewhere on the road and they're mm -hmm. they shouldn't be doing that and, and many times they do that too early actually and uh, and that's the problem so find an uh, finding an environment that understands how you should practice in different ages allowing you to practice different sports giving the right uh, um, uh, social support and looking at you as an individual and, and, and creating that inner drive, that self-determination within you. So let, letting that grow, letting the, the uh, uh, athletic identity grow as you get older. So there's no stress, I think, because I, I think those, those guys that wants to become an elite athlete, I don't, I don't think that you have to run around looking for them. I think they will appear if you have a good environment that is challenging and it's fun and you learn things and you can do it in, in, uh, in your own uh, tempo. And sometimes you have to push them a little bit, of, obviously. I think increase the training load or encouraging mm -hmm. them. And sometimes I think you have to hold them back. Actually, mm -hmm. my work is many times to hold kids back when they are 15, 16 years old and they are practicing so hard but the body is mm. not ready for it yet. They're, mm. they're, they're yeah. not developed in any sense, actually. Mm. 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 Yeah, it's also um, what you're mentioning here that uh, at a specific age, some of the kids, they already start to practice so extremely hard. And I'm, I'm still a big believer in practice. Uh, it's extremely important and that it builds the base for everything. Uh, but on the other side, you don't want to have when they are like 19, 20, um, that they have injuries that are significant from a negative perspective for their lives, uh, for example, mm. or that they're mentally so done uh, that they lost what you have been describing, you know, previously the inner drive. So uh, definitely, as you have been mentioning, I think, uh, was a very good comment that there has to be a real balance between actual practice and between practicing over the limit. And uh, my question is, is going also still towards practice because um, I'm coaching the season U14s and I think uh, this is an age group where you can start already to be more demanding because you can prepare them slowly, step by step. Um, mm or what will come in the future. And um, what I'm experiencing is that, um, but I still stick to this road. I still try to find a healthy balance between what am I doing uh, in terms of overall development and in terms of like 
specific practice. But uh, you can definitely see that uh, some of the kids that uh, as soon as you be more demanding and as soon as you establish some kind of expectations, uh, they are not buying into this so much. And uh, they almost, you can say, reject some feedback or you can see on their reaction that they don't want to take it to 100%. So, um, because you, as, we, as you have been explaining that if you really want to make it to the top, to the lead, you need to have this inner drive and you need to have this stamina. And I try to use a lot of language, a lot of synonyms and try to give them a lot of examples, but how do we help them to internalize that at some point, if you really want to make it. You need to invest more because at, at some point the competition becomes smaller, smaller, smaller. That at some point uh, probably there's not space for for everyone anymore. Hmm. Yeah, you mean when when competition gets smaller, that means that there are fewer and fewer players uh, that can make go it through to the, to the elite perform. Yeah, make yeah. it to the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, for me, uh, the answer for that is aut autonomy. Uh, mm. That means that you have to involve them, and and uh, and this is also one thing that I think think is important. And that that with the self determination, and that is autonomy. That they understand why they are doing things, and they understand that they can influence what they are doing. And I think that's really important to to teach the players, uh, uh, yeah, these things actually. So involve them very much in their own individual goal setting, for example, or. Or uh, teaching them to to teach each, each other so they understand. I mean, you have a great coach. You have parents that support you a lot. And and you have a team around you that um, that has a lot of uh, knowledge. If you can if you can make the, the, the player uh, to use those uh, competencies that are around and uh, and also help the player to understand this is uh, by themselves so this is my next step and this is how i can influence that and this is how i can practice to get to the next level this is what i do much more in individual sports than in than in uh, in team sports uh, so i think they are and it's more natural obviously i mean you sit down as a tennis player you sit down with your coach evaluating games or trainings and talking about the next step and so on and so on and the more you can involve the player in doing that and understanding and teaching the player not only how to score but also how how can i train the skills that i need to score or how can i prevent injuries or how can i you know sleep eat drink in the in a good way how can i influence my uh, my day how can i be more uh, focused in training and so on and so on and teach them and make them or or uh, yeah, teach them to understand how they can be their own coach, I think. So autonomy, I think, is really important in that sense. And, and uh, in, uh, in our company, to motivate, we are working with transformational leadership, for example. And transformational leadership is, is actually helping the athlete to understand or becoming his own coach or leader and do that in cooperation. And that will involve autonomy uh, processes then, involving the athlete, talking, not telling you should do this and this and this and this, and then give feedback. That's, this was good, this was bad. No, rather you, you involve and what do you think is the next step? 
How can we do that? What's your knowledge? What's my knowledge? How can I help you? And then give feedback when they're succeeding instead of just saying right or wrong. You say that was really good or this we have to work with a little bit long uh, more. How can we do that? How do you think I can help you? Or I can give you this uh, tip or, or, or so. I mean, it's more like a corporation and then you create the autonomy and then you have the self-learning athlete. It's a it's a process, but and when I when, when I talk to coaches about this, many coaches react in the in the way that okay, what what's my role then? Am I not important anymore? Yeah, you're more important than ever, but you give you give some autonomy or you give some responsibility in small steps more and more to to the athlete to be become uh, not a teacher telling but a, a guide more. Uh, helping and and supporting and yeah. I think I, I that's think, really important processes yeah I agree and, and and Rick and I through our school we learn um we learn to coach through the self-determination theory and and the the idea of the need support of coaching and, and meeting the the confidence the relatedness and and the autonomy of course and um exactly I think it's really interesting when you look at the autonomy piece because it's it's really like, well, it, it, sorry, I, I mean, there's so much to say on it. But anyway, like there's, there's perceptions that like, if you give kids a con autonomy, you're, you're a lazy coach in a way. And like, but it's really like, no, like, you really have to think about how much choice am I giving the players? What are the boundaries for those choices? And um, how do I progressively add on autonomy? And, and I, I, you know, in my new role this year, taking over um, a group of kids that have been together for almost 10 years um, and, and trying to give them more and more autonomy. And, and they're used to a little bit um, just because of the, the structure of the club and, and, the, and the people that have been here for a couple of years. Um, but then how do we continue to add more and more of that? And then I want to ask my question there is on the other side of things. Of course, as coaches, we can give autonomy to the players. We can give them opportunities to think for themselves, to make their own choices. Um, but not a lot of the kids or not a lot. That's a generalization. But some of the kids maybe have parents that do it for them anyway. So my question is, is I, there's always these kind of um, two there's two extremes to parents like the laissez-faire parent who just is like you know push their kid inside the rink and then drive home and then come back and pick them up and then the other parent that's there the whole time right around them um you know making sure that they're involved with every step of their process for practice for games um you know individual meetings everything like that like there's parents that want to be involved with everything so um there's a couple parts to my question but my first one is how do we as coaches work with parents to help them realize that you know when we give your kid a choice don't make it for them kind of thing and i i hope i'm coming across in a, in a way or i'm hoping i'm answering or answering woof i hope i'm asking in a way that's answerable but you know how do we help parents realize that no let the kids choose they can choose wrong that's fine we'll help them later on yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, the main, the basic rule in behavioral change is that uh, if you want yeah, a kid playing ice hockey in this in this um, in this example uh, to change behaviors, uh, then it's uh, the uh, the more 
people that are telling the kid the same uh, messages, the easier mm. it will be for the kid to change behavior. Uh, and this, in this, sense, in this time, then you, yeah, we are talking about autonomy, and that that is actually why I wrote the book um, that we were talking about before, uh, yeah, before we started the, the, this episode. But um, uh, do it better yourself if you can. It's a it's a book for parents, and I wrote it to parents for them to understand what is a sound and, and challenging environment, and how can you create. A cooperation between you as a parent uh, and uh, and the and the coach and your kid doing the the sport. So this is actually the answer, I think. Uh, if you want to do the 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 behavioral change, and let's say now we are working with transformational leadership in our in our team, and I know that it's not uh, all, all coaches in in ice hockey in <laughs> in the world are 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 working with transformational leadership. It could be like, oh, why is why is the coach asking questions? Does does he even know what he's doing? And why is it so much? You know, they can do whatever they want, and and there's so much uh, things that they can react upon because you're you're acting as a coach in a different way, and that for me that ends up in you have to educate uh, the parents. So that you are the parents understand how you are working, why you're doing it, and probable effects on on how uh, uh, when you're working in this way. So educating the parent to make them understand, and and also, I think it's really important to um, get a, rela- a, re- a relation, a, a, a working relation with the parent, a cooperate a cooperative uh, working relation with the parent so that you're saying about the same things and uh, so the parent at least understand why you're doing what you're doing and also it will become easier for for the kids understanding why you're asking questions why you will give this responsibility to the kid on the on and off the ice and so i mean it's 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 about creating a um, um, learning environment yeah where you understand yeah. what other what other parts of the environment are, environment are doing, I think. I don't know yeah. if that was the <laughs> if that was an answer on your question, but I think, I mean, yeah, I can see it, I, I can see the problem you're you're facing, and I think lots of coaching are facing the same problem or or the same environment when when you're getting questioned on, yeah. on what you're doing or or the the parent are doing the opposite of, of what you are doing. I mean, the classic thing is when they are picking up the kid from the training and or the uh, or the match and and. They are saying, "Oh, why did that guy play in, in that position? You're much better." And why do, do the coach even know what he, he's doing? And blah blah blah, you know. And it's just killing the coach instead yeah. of building that working relationship. And I, I don't think it's a problem if if a parent think in another way than you mm-hmm. think as a coach. It's obviously better if you think the same way or work together, but it's important for the coach to understand that, okay, this parent is thinking in this way. Then I have to act maybe a little bit in another way against this kid or with this kid when I'm working with this kid. So it's not becoming a a huge clash. Yeah. So if it's possible, I mean, to, to work in that individual sense. And, but as I think it's really important for the parent to understand what is the environment doing and how is, what is the best way of getting to becoming an elite player? If, if that's, what the kid wants <laughs> and yeah. if the parent understand they will read the same literature as you guys do when you're coaching or going to courses you know coaching courses or yeah. uh, and then you can speak the same language and then you can work in the best 
best way with this team and and, and with the kids. Yeah, and I think um, it it flows into my next question really nicely. So I, I think it does it does answer the the original question. But you know, I, I just have to mention that you, you said that when coaches ask questions, or, or I'm paraphrasing a little bit, when coaches ask questions, there's also there's also sometimes where it's like, does the coach even know what they're doing? And the I've I've actually had to a couple times in my career like tell people that like. Like for example, defensive zone in, in ice hockey is um, is something that in the past has been very very structured, and the kids should stand exactly where they should stand and everything like that. And so there's been a couple times in my career where I've had to take out a whiteboard and tell people that no, I know what you're talking about. I know where kids should or supposedly should stand in the defensive zone. I'm just doing. I'm trying to do it differently for the kids. So it's. Uh, it's a little bit of a trigger for me when you say stuff like that because it's like, oh, I've lived that, I've lived that. And um, but anyway, the the follow up to that question is, you know, as the kids move along, right? Like there's there's good um, there's good I think research out there that shows that most kids aren't going to start sport by themselves. They might hear it from a friend or something like that. But you know, as the kid progresses through their talent development, you know, pathway the role of the parent uh, might look differently. And I had my, my main, like my follow-up to that is I asked about the laissez-faire parent and the, the helicopter parent, like the two extremes there. Mm. Um, how, as the child develops, how does that role of the parent change and, and should it move from one side of the spectrum to the other? Um, and, and kind of what, uh, what role and what responsibility does the parent have as the child gets older? Mm. I think uh, the most important role the parent has is to present sports to the kid when they're young. Mm. And that starts actually, yeah, when they start to learn to crawl and walk. <laughs> How much are, are the parents uh, in, in being involved in, in, uh, in uh, motoric learning or, or moving or using your body in a, in a you know, physical way? So... Uh, I think it's really important that the that the parent learn the, the kid that it's it's actually fun to move, mm. to get tired, to breathe heavily, and you know, uh, and then in that sense also presenting that okay we have tennis and ice hockey and football and and you know you have all the, all of these fantastic things to do and and play with and, and it's you know it's nice to be in these environments. So that's the most important thing. And and when they get into the sporting environment, I think it's important to, to show the kid that it's fun, but also mm. to check, is this a sound environment? Is, is How are the kids interacting? Uh, how are the coaches or, or parents being the, as, as coaches there as it is in, in Scandinavia lots of times? Yeah. How are they uh, working with the kids? Do they have fun? And it's, it's a safe environment for my kid. And then also connecting to, to other parents. Uh, I mean, I, usually I say, have a cup of coffee, laugh with other parents, talk to them, help if you can, or if you don't understand anything about the sport and just ask if you can help do something, show the kid that this is a nice, safe, fun environment. Mm. And from there, when, when you can see it's, 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 a, it's a good environment for your, for your kid, then you can slowly back off. And uh, not stop to interact, but you don't have to be there every practice. Obviously, when they're kids, I mean, they need to 
I mean, our, our son here, he's four and he's going to gymnastics and, and, and um, obviously we are there. He's four. Obviously he will start to cry during the, the, the training, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, when they are running around there, he will fall and, and cry. And then I'm there or my, my wife is there, obviously. But when they are getting older, I think you can actually show interest and be there, ask questions, look at some games sometimes and practice when you have time. Uh, but don't be there to control stuff. Uh, normally, I, I, I want uh, I say that uh, be present in, in the environment, but don't control. It's actually your kid that is doing this. And it, it's, it's a good environment. If it's a good environment, uh, then it's, it's good training for your kid to start learning to interact with other kids, start following ro- rules and, and, you know, train and do stuff together in a group. And, and it doesn't matter if it's a team or individual sport. I mean, you're there, you're interacting and you're learning stuff to become your own, your own in- individual, actually. So that's a mm. perfect environment for that. So be there, be present, but don't be there to be controlling. It's, it's your kid doing this. And then interact with the coach. And as I told you before, as I said before, I think it's important that you ask the coach, okay, how can I help? How, how are you thinking? What's your style of, of learning our kids to, to, to play hockey? And, and you know, be interested so you can support in the best way. And then when, when the kids, I think it's going to solve itself. When, when the kid is becoming yeah, a teenager, I think he or she doesn't want you to be there anyway. So just back off and, and uh, hopefully it's a good environment and he, he is having fun in that environment. He's learning things and he, it's his own career sort of. It's his own thing doing that with his friends and, and, and with the coaches and, and, and leaders in, in that environment. And I think the most important thing then when things go along that you're there emotionally in uh, when, when, uh, when your kid is happy or sad, you're there. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. I mean, you're there supporting. And uh, as it is now, you have to be there also paying, paying the bills, the skates and the, the hockey, hockey sticks and, and everything, uh, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, but also practically, I mean, probably you have to, at least in ice hockey, you have to be there uh, helping them putting the skates and and the gear on and and stuff like that. Practical things. Uh, look, uh, so if if your kid are going straight from school to practice, then he probably needs something to eat in between. I mean, practical stuff and emotional stuff. That's the most important thing for for a parent to be there and check that the environment is, is it's a good and developing environment. So it starts being present at start, looking, checking, is everything okay? And then it becomes more emotionally and practical. And in some sports, you have to be uh, agent and uh, <laughs> at some point as well, when, when, uh, when they're coming yeah, larger yeah. clubs and and you know professionalism into the into the into the picture. Then then I think the uh, yeah the role will change again. But then you're up in the late teens somewhere, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's interesting as well, like from the coaching perspective, because there's as many players that you have you have usually i mean twice as twice the amount of parents right and, and, and roughly so it's it's like you're dealing with um 
the personality of the athlete, right? And, and, and trying to help them, but then you're also um, worried about the, the two or three or four, or however many people that we have behind them supporting them. And you're all like trying to do the same thing, um, you know, and help the athlete the best way that everybody can. And so I, I'm wondering, like, when we think about parents, because you, you, you mentioned the bill that they have to foot and it doesn't matter the sport nowadays, sports are expensive. And, and I think that they're, you know, it's fair for parents to, to say like, no, I'm paying all this money. Like I want to be involved somehow in, in the development and I want to be aware of the process and everything. And I, I think that's healthy. Like it's their kid. They should be curious on what's happening with their kid and, and how it's going and, um, and be involved in ways that they can. So what are the ways that we as coaches can, and involve parents in a healthy um, and positive way with the kids in the sense that they feel like they're, they're having an impact, they're feeling involved. Um, and, you know, it's, it might help control that, um, the negative side of parents that we hear about a lot. Uh, but what are some mm. of the ways that we, we can help um, or we can involve them in a, in a helpful way? Mm. Mm. I, I like when you use the word curious. As a parent, you should be curious about what your kids are doing, uh, and uh, but not controlling. Uh, that I mean, I I let my kid play in, in your club, uh, in your team, because I think it's a good environment, and I think it's developing, and I should yeah. give that. Uh, I mean, I should give that. Um, uh, what do you say? Uh, I should. Um, um, I should trust you in the process. Otherwise, mm. I should take you to another club <laughs> i think when you're getting older i mean and the, the training increases and the load increase and everything then i i should trust it and if i if i don't trust it i should point on that and say okay hey guys why are you why are you doing this and then open up in, in a sound way in a good way a, a good communication if you're if you're working in a i mean if you have a crazy leadership style or if you're doing too much heavy training with young kids and so on then i should just ask and, and see how you should change it or help you to change it i, I think um but always have a healthy relationship with the club and and with the with the coach but i go back to i think i think i think it starts actually with the club mm. the club should be interested if you really work with talent development the club should be interesting in research because there is a lot of good research how to train physically technically tactically psychologically how to load and everything else there's there's good i think we have good evidence today on how to build a sound environment and and how to maximize the probability of creating uh, elite athletes so it starts with the club. I think they have a responsibility to to look into the research and adapt that to their uh, to their uh, yeah, possibilities and and resources in on how to build uh, talent development in the club. And from there, I think it's uh, with the support from the club, the coaches will also be uh, more feel more safe in the environment and and they they will i think also feel that they have the support from the club because as i underlying all these questions and all these discussions about parents there is a, a 
annoying feeling or or <laughs> there there is there is uh, um conflicts there is things that, that parents are a burden many times mm -hmm. coaches feel and, and and parents feel i want to know more and the coach is crazy and he's not treating my kid in the right way so it's it's some kind of conflict in there and i think you should you must avoid that conflict as much as possible and with us with a good plan from the club um uh, a coach that feels safe in the environment a coach that feels I'm standing on evidence and research. I'm doing this with the best knowledge we have today. Mm. And then presenting that for the parents and giving parents autonomy as well by inviting them and, tell, uh, and telling them, okay, this is the way we are doing it. This is the way research are telling, it, uh, telling us to do it. And we are... Uh, translating that into our environment as much as you can. And this is what we stand for. And this is what we believe in. And then inviting the parents to, to um, understand that and telling them, okay, this is how we do it. What's your take on it? How can you support this environment? How can we cooperate in creating the, the best possible uh, sound and challenging environment for your kids? Because our goal is to create as good players as possible. And I know that's your goal as well. Or at least mm. it's your goal that your kid is having fun playing ice hockey. So we have, and, and that's, not a, that's not a different thing, actually. So we, have, we are having the same goals and we are standing on research and, and evidence and we are doing this in the best possible way. And how can we cooperate? And obviously there will be parents that will not buy into this. They believe in something else. But then, actually, I think you should be proud about your method and your th or, or your way, or your way of doing it. And I know it's it's difficult. I mean, in bigger cities, it's easy because then you can say, yeah, okay, if you, if this this doesn't fit you, you can go to another club, and you have like another five hundred players waiting online outside the door. In smaller clubs, it's it's uh, it's more difficult. You need every player probably. But also in my in my experience, it's easier out in the countryside where smaller clubs because then you're very very concerned about each player because you need them all. So that it's yeah. more most of the times it's a lesser problem there. So cooperation and and inviting parents. And if there are parents that have good ideas, just show them that, oh, great idea. We will incorporate that in, into our method. Great. Thank you very much. This is the way, this is, this is another thing we should think about. And if there are crazy ideas and then, yeah, well, I'm sorry, we believe in this. This is important to us and we, I, we feel safe in our way of working. So if it doesn't fit you, then we want you, you to stay here. We want your kid here. But this is the way we do it. Let's try this, and and we see how we can cooperate in the future. But now we know where we're standing, and now we know where you are standing, and then try to have that open dialogue. It sounds easy when sitting in in a podcast like this, but it's challenging, of course. But I think you, instead of of, yeah, I think you you will minimize the the probability of of uh, of. Uh, uh, conflicts in that sense if you work like that but there will still be conflicts because there will no matter how good you are no matter how open you are no matter how much autonomy you will give there will always be people feeling that you're not they are not being treated right or there's something that they can't agree upon and so on and so on but you will minimize the 
uh, the hassle and, and the problems, I think, if you do like that. So how how fair is it to have that conversation with the kids? Like, not the not the conversation of, like, the parents and everything, but, like, to to explain to the kids, like, hey, this is why we want to give you the choice. This is why, you know, um, we're kind of putting this more and more on you. It's not because we want to do less. It's it's how we believe to develop mm-hmm. the best. And um, is it fair to just like have a player meeting, for example, at the beginning of the year and and just talk to the players and have them ask questions about what practices look like? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Mm-hmm. And, and just be open and honest and, and just answer everything that pops up. Um, or is it is it better to just kind of as they pop up, you know, you know, hey, maybe like mm. answer this question now, that question later, um, mm. but just kind of have the athlete to do it. Mm. I think it's uh, it's uh, a little bit depending on the group and how how used they are uh, uh, to to work in this way. But mm. in my uh, in my experience, I think it's I think it's good to start the season. And you can by by uh, explaining how you work and what you what you want them uh, or how you want the cooperation between you and the players to be and uh, inviting them. I mean, it you can start with small kids, uh, like asking them what what's a fun practice, for example. What's a fun practice? And or you can ask the you can ask the little bit yeah the little bit older players. Uh, what's our goals in the team today or, or this year and how, how can you, what's your individual goals and you can invite them to, to uh, participate in the planning and so on. Uh, and by doing that, I think they pretty soon learn how to, yeah, how to, to drive their, their own career, so to speak, or to be autonomous. And I, they, I, in my opinion, they learn quite fast actually uh, to do that. So I think you can, at the start of the season, just invite them and explain and and start from the from scratch. Like, okay, guys, we're here to play ice hockey, have fun and develop. So, how how are we uh, how are we going to do that? And if they're mm-hmm. young, obviously you have to d- d- give them smaller spaces to <laughs> to be autonomous in. But if they're older, you can I mean you can increase that that uh, possibility for each player. So be open and honest and, and also explain for the parents so they are not asking these or, or telling the kids these stupid things in, in the in the car on the way home or Friday night dinner, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> Taco pro- day here in Norway. Yeah, is probably, uh, like, uh, it's always... Um, because you do a lot of uh, communication with the kids but uh, in coaching, but um, then because you... In my point of view, you act with the best interest for the development of the players. And um, so, but obviously you're not the only person who's talking to the kids because as you have been pointing out as well, several times they they still have parents and then they're still the right home. And mm. uh, probably a lot of things are discussed uh, also if I think about myself uh, when I was still playing or when I was doing sports, uh, I was uh, talking a lot with my father in the car and with my mother sometimes mm. as well. Mm. Um, but just not, not always about practice, but of course, just in general things. So there's uh, definitely then still 
a lot of other things and uh, that are discussed and of course uh, one part is uh, how everything is going at the sports mm. and uh, overall so i think uh, that is the part that uh, and in some way the you you cannot eliminate all of the discussions mm. Um, and you shouldn't do that i think it's i think it's important like uh, like we said before uh you should be interested and curious about your kids sports uh of course but uh, you have to also be aware of that uh, kids are fast learners uh, because Mm. many times when when i say you shouldn't talk talk only or a lot with your kid about sports but Mm. then then parents often said yeah but that's the only thing he wants to talk about or she wants to talk about Mm. And then I said, uh, I usually say, okay, who who taught him that? Because kids are learners because they see that the parent gets happy or very interested. And that's why they always, they they also want attention from the parents. So they they Mm. learn fast that if I talk about sports, I get my father's attention and and we can have a, you know, intimate discussion about this and they i, I will uh, i enjoy this and i can see that my father is enjoying this as well so i think parents are teaching the kids to talk a lot about sports and yeah. it's okay to do that but i think it's it yeah. should be become something that the kids will uh, yeah. do first like or instigate first yeah yeah, I think so it's, it's not wrong important. i think it's yeah it's really important it's really important yeah, it's important but that you, the kid is, yeah sorry no, no, go you. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to say that I think it's important that the kid is showing uh, own interest in sports in general and uh, yeah. is interested in following uh, sports in general. Uh, I think uh, that's it's very, very important. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think um, we're, we're kind of closing up on our, our 60 minutes here, but we always ask just kind of one final question before we, we wrap up. And that's just a um, final question for now, because I know for sure, like we're going to ask you to get back on and, and talk about your work in elite sports and the work you're doing with referees and, and all the other stuff that you, you touch on. So um, I think it was a, a great episode today, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having you back on in the future. If, if we uh, interested you enough today. But anyway, um, our final question is just if you have any kind of final thoughts, final messages, final pieces of advice for, for any young coaches out there, any new coaches out there, or any coaches out there about, um, you know, just what we talked about today, working with parents, working with athletes, developing good, sound and challenging environments, or, or just anything like that. I think we touched on a lot of things. To, so to summarize, I think, uh, being open and, and communicate and tell what you're doing. Uh, and I know also that there's a lot of young coaches out there. So if you're 18 or 20 and you're standing there with your 40-year-old parent and a group of parents, maybe 20, 30 parents that are older than you, it's really difficult. So a last thought on that is actually that um, it's really important that these coaches also get support from the club. So, uh, so that you can actually be open, and and I think everything starts with the club being uh, creating a safe environment for the coaches, so that they mm. can create a safe environment for the kids together with the parents. And if you cooperate well there, and if if you find your your specific roles, you can actually. Uh, I think that's 
one of the most important things in talent development, but also in, in making ice hockey fun for kids so that they continue to play. And we all know that there's just a few, uh, just a few players that will become elite players, but we hopefully we can, we, we can make the kids leave ice hockey when it's time. And they, they say it with a smile on their face, I had a good time and I will continue to maybe be a referee when I'm older or, or a sponsor or make my kids, my, my own kids play ice hockey when I, when I get old. So uh, older. So I think that's really important. So, openness communication sound relationships and then uh, look at the research um, to to create that uh, great practice that is that is increasing over the years uh, not not too much too soon but enough when it's time like i yeah. think that's important and uh, yeah. from from the from the parent side be curious and uh, ask questions but let your kid be the the driver of of the sport uh, experience so but be their support give give love give hugs uh, be there emotionally pay the hockey sticks and 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 drive drive those miles it's it's i mean it's it's expensive to drive now anyway so but be there pay pay for it if you if you have the possibility to do that or or be there with all the practical stuff, give the, yeah, give the food yeah. so that they, they can eat and, and be there, ask questions and just uh, let them enjoy and, but be there around them, be, be curious. Yeah. All right. Well, Johan, thank you very much for a really interesting episode today. It was, it was a pleasure to, to finally get to chat with you and, um, you know, all the best with, with what you're currently doing and the end of your, end of your football season here in the next few weeks we um we wish you all the best of luck and um yeah just thank you thank you very much for chatting with you guys it's been a pleasure one more time big thanks to johan Feibe for taking the time and joining here today the coaches road podcast uh Again, it was a very insightful conversation. And as I said in the introduction, we definitely had like two parts of the conversation. I think uh, it would be very good as we have been mentioning as well, if we can get them at some point again on the show, uh, because he has a lot of thoughts to share in different areas and mm -hmm. his expertise is very broad. And I would like to start a little bit on, um, because I think this topic topic is always very fascinating because he was has been mentioning Before we started the conversation, we were chatting about 20 minutes, a little bit about the content mm -hmm. of the conversation, because as you have been saying as well, that we had the pre-call in March and now it's October. So it has been about seven months, but uh, I think uh, the outcome of the episode was still uh, very valuable. Yeah, very and um, I would like to start touching on a little bit his work at the elite level. So I think he has a very, very, very good perspective on actually the traits that help you to become to the top and staying. And I think I really liked that how he was talking about that there there's actually not one exact trait or these are the specific traits that help you to get there. I think I really liked that he was pointing out that determination is really important in our drive and stamina. I think that's uh, that's, I think, 
I really like how he has been describing it because it's uh, it's not saying that okay you need to do you need to have this you need to have trade ABC in order to get there. So um, that point I really really liked, and I think it's uh, it reminds you also a little bit about um, for example your personal motivation for coaching what is your inner drive for doing something or your determination and i think this uh, is very applicable to a lot of other professions in life in general yeah i think so and i think that that's something that we talk about so much with youth sports is like how do we build that internal drive and and i think it was really interesting how he said like the first thing he said was give them autonomy and you know knowing what we know about the self-determination theory and and how much we've studied that, like, um, it it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, if you give someone some freedom, some choice on what they do, how they do it, what they get better at, then, you know, it, it makes sense that they will do it. Like, no one wants to just be told the entire time, do this, do that, you need this, you need that, and, you know, you're not good at this, you're not good at that, so help, like, work on those so I think it's so it was it was a good thing off the bat that, that that's what like the first thing for building the, that internal drive of the athletes. And and I, it's just it's got me thinking like how. Like I said in the episode, like how do we get everybody on board for giving athletes the autonomy that they need to develop that internal drive? And, you know, he gave some good examples. Like, of course, there's some small things you can do that actually have some big impact, like the goal setting. Um, I, I really like the the example he brought up of teaching them to teach their teammates, teach other people, things like that. Um, but then like the the thing that he mentioned, like teaching them to use the help around them. Mm. Like I, I think that's something that's so crucial with young athletes is, is showing them that they have resources around them. They have their parents, they have their coaches, they have their teachers, they have their friends, they have you know, access to these resources that can really help them and, and, and showing them ways that they can interact with those resources and, and use those resources um, is, is good for them overall mm. and, and helps them build that. Like, hey, I want to really get better at this. Mm. These are the resources I have available. Let me mm. see if they can help me. Um, because that's a lesson that like thinking back on myself, just like a quick reflection, since you said that about half an hour ago for us, like, um, I don't know when I started realizing that there's people around me that can help me. Yeah, like I, I think it was yeah. probably around like 18, 19 when I started actually figuring out like the people around me can help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's also that's a process that takes time. And I think also talking about the beginning of the conversation, the earlier you are able to identify that there are specific people around you that can help you yeah. um the better off you're going to be and i think the first step is recognizing it and then the second step is accepting the help yeah uh because if i think about myself i'm i'm sometimes not the best at accepting help even even if i even if i see that people want me to help and i uh, i think that's these two points are extremely important because uh, so many people i mean if i remember i think don granato was saying it as well and so many high level coaches that we had on our podcast is that you 
really need to be surrounded by other people and you at the end of the day you cannot manage everything uh by yourself uh and i think uh, this is a very very good reminder because uh there are at the end of the day there are a lot of other people that help you to go where you are mm. but at the same time i still think that as you has been driving you are the person um who has the inner drive you are the person um who has who is developing the stamina and you're the person who has the determination and uh, then if you're able to identify and accept help it can be a very uh, successful outcome long term wise i think yeah yeah I, i think that's so crucial like um you, you bring up a good point like accepting the help like mm. and and realizing that you know help can come from pretty much anywhere of course mm. you have like resources around you that are there specifically to help you and and will you know will really help you but you know you can't shut down help from outside sources mm. either because there there's good ideas out there and you have to be willing to mm. and like you like Johan mentioned in the episode like when you're working with the parents mm. you know they may have some good ideas that you can say like yeah we're going to implement this right away um and you know they might not have some good ideas and that's fine too but you know giving them the chance to to be an outside perspective and and you know share a little bit of their world i mean mm. like i i know like where we are we have a lot of lawyers and doctors and mm. um you know kind of some a lot of white collar jobs mm. and and there's some expertise there like in negotiations and um communication and and you know like doctor's bedside manner kind of thing like there's there's things we can still learn from those parents yeah. and um and so giving them the opportunity to um you know like any parent like giving them the opportunity to just speak their mind and and share their ideas and oh. and i think formalizing that like formalizing having like i've been thinking like what would like a like what would that look like like a parent committee where parents can meet and discuss about ideas in the club and you know maybe you have representatives from yeah. each team and and everyone kind of shares ideas and then and then they go through that kind of process of okay hey here's the initial ideas you know let's get a bunch of parents to talk about it and then the parents can you know come to the club and say hey here's what the committee was talking about um that they you know think might be a good idea for the club and stuff like that and and can you step through and kind of i don't know like because there are some there's a lot of ideas for mm. parents and i'm not saying that we shouldn't listen to any of them but kind of filter them in i don't know i'm just mm. rambling now but um walking through an idea as i come up with it but it, it's kind of like uh i think i think something like that would be really interesting to to try like can you have a formal way of inputting ideas from parents and filtering out the the ones that might actually like help the the athlete no yeah i think and again the same point goes um into this as well the more you are willing and the more you are able to involve people the better the outcome can be over the long term wise but i think very important is that identifying first of all to your setup who are the people that can help you the best in order to make everything better around yeah. you for yourself for the players for the club yeah uh, i think that's a 
it's a very something that is concerning more like overall the, the bigger picture yeah but uh, i think that's uh, of course now in our outro we drive a little bit off the conversation but i still <laughs> think it's a bit connected to it and i still think these are valuable points and i also think that's why we have these conversations afterwards so we can share a little bit of our own thoughts and yeah. uh, so i think it's very very good yeah i um i don't exactly know where i'm at in my notes in the of the episode but i think the the only other thing that i really want to touch on is because and related to what we were just talking about like if if you have a way for parents to be more involved and be more part of the process in a in a healthy way then there's more people around the athlete you know supporting the ideas of you know building the autonomy giving them some choice um developing in the right way and um and the right way for them and and and, and just making sure that there's more people telling the athlete the same thing. Like when the athletes pulled in so many different directions because people feel disconnected from the mm. process, then it's not good for anybody mm. and especially not good for the athlete. So I think it's, it's really valuable for sure. But that's kind of the last thing that I have because I don't really remember where we are, but I think it overall was a really good and really fun conversation. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I think that'll wrap it up for today's episode with Johan Falby. Um, really really interesting chat and like we've said before we hope we can get him back on but big thanks to him for joining us today um and we will um see everybody in a couple weeks with another episode of the coaches road podcast presented by coach tools thanks bye